0: Time to make the donuts. From deep in the burbs of America's Vancouver, it's the Vantucky Fried Podcast. Who's that special? No. Here's your host, 140 pounds of flapping lips, with seven bucks cash and an opinion on everything. Casey Bay. Oh my god you were dead I killed me can you dig it can you dig it can you dig it
1: well welcome in and welcome back for another exciting installment of our new little weekly hang sesh the vantucky fried podcast Now, if you push play by accident and found yourself here mysteriously, well, don't panic. It's fine, man. You just discovered the medium-sized show that comes in hot from Vancouver, Washington, USA. That's right. We're live to tape from right here in Hazeldale, baby. Now, I don't know what your town has to offer, but around here, you can roll three games at the legendary Hazeldale Lanes and get an order of clam chowder from Skippers all in the same parking lot. Come in for a hot, hearty cup of our award-winning clam chowder. It's only 59 cents at skippers where you get good seafood without getting soaked boy talk about a bargain disregard those rough edges and prepare to enjoy yet another full power half hour of great music random stories handcrafted exclusively for your enjoyment my name's casey bay and i'll be playing the role of host and one man band all right let's kick things off with some upbeat friday vibes from bombay bicycle club 10 bucks says you can't listen to this one and be in a bad mood. They call it Shuffle, and it's on the Ventucky Fried Podcast. The My first pick from Crouch and England. That was Bombay Bicycle Club. Shuffle is the name of it. And you'll find it on their record, a different kind of fix.
0: It's the Van Tucky Fried Podcast with Casey Bay. Look right at the presentation Ooh. of that all Ooh. silk smoking jacket. No, it's a kimono, not smoking jacket. Put that cigarette
1: out. All right, now, before we get too far, I got to do a little housekeeping.
0: Housekeeping?
1: Because we're all friends here, I want to come to you clean and say that I made a mistake last week. And I owe Ruffles a huge apology because it was most definitely Lays that made the biscuits and gravy potato chip disaster. I took it all out on Ruffles and I apologize. I I had my my brands crossed and I stand corrected. Uh, what am I going to say? You think I'm going to dig my heels in when I'm blatantly wrong? I, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm going to I'm gonna come here. I'm going to take my hat off and I'm going to look like a dope and go, hey, guess what? I shut my mouth off and I was wrong. So I'm here to make it right. Now, I thought, well, I should probably like maybe give him a call and, and express my apologies. And then I realized, wait a minute. Lays makes ruffles. So it would have been, hey, I'm sorry I said your chips suck. Oh, and by the way, your chips suck. I got myself painted into a corner there. So I'll just apologize to you. I'll save my pleasantries with, with Lays officially. And I'll just apologize right here on the podcast to, to everybody down there. Fruit Valley Road Frito-Lay down there working it right now. Thank you. And I apologize. And if anybody starts throwing off any half-cocked flavors down there, just, at you know, maybe in the break room, just say something casually like, hey, maybe we can pump the brakes a little bit. You guys watched the game last night? You see, they put those big cats in the in the vending machine, and then another guy pops up. Why are you going to the vending machine, dude? We we work at a snack factory. So anyway, I just wanted to clear that up and let you know that uh, you know I apologized. I didn't mean anything by it. And uh, look, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And and Ruffles, you got me on this one. Stop! Hammer time. So check this out. This morning, I was I got up, and I just started whistling the the music to the Smurfs for no rhyme or reason. Like it just rolled through my brain and out my lips came Smurf's music.
0: Now we're smurfing. This is our last push.
1: Thought that was pretty weird. Just thought you might want to know. Anyway, a few years ago, I started compiling this, what I call my list of things I don't understand. And as you can imagine, it's quite lengthy. I add to it frequently, maybe even daily, because I can admit it, I'm both easily confused and I obsess over minutia. So it's it's a wicked combination, but what am I going to do? I'm telling you, man, it's a wild place inside this head of mine. So this week, I added number 12,923. Current fashion. Yeah, this one's got me brain twisted. Uh, my son's in high school now, and uh, he actually goes to my old high school. So every day brings on a new wave of deja vu. I watch these hoodlums roll into school, and every single one of them look like they got dressed in the dark. I'm not kidding. like, Or that they lost a bet. I can't decide which which is which. But either way... It is a non-effort situation. The guys, they just look like slobs. They go easy. Sweats, t-shirt, maybe I'll comb my hair, maybe not. I don't know. Let's just go with the I slept in my car look. Whatever, cool. On my way to school. Where's my mask? The girls, they've resorted to dressing in oversized clothes and I use the word clothes loosely because they're all torn to hell. And based on my daily observations, this current style lands somewhere between tiger attack and stranded on a desert island survivor. Maybe I'm alone here, but I don't get that at all. I don't know why you want to take yourself from a higher number and deliver yourself a lower number, meaning going from, say, uh, an an 8 to a 6 by your own doing. I don't know why anyone would want to do that in the name of fashion. You don't need somebody to tell you about fashion. You just need to look at yourself. Back in my day, you showed up at high school. You put your best foot forward and you tried to look your best. You tried to present yourself the best because, look, there's girls around. It's not like I'm some strapping hunk boy. I'm a little shrimp boy going to school. So, like, you think I'm going to also dress like a slob and be shrimp boy? No, I'm trying to stack the deck in my favor, not the other way around. Plain and simple. I guess I'm crazy. I'm old and I'm crazy. That is fine. I'm at that get off my lawn age or shake my fist at the clouds age. Whatever you youngins want to call me. It's fine. But I also know what you're supposed to look like when you step out in public. Anyway, who who am I to say? My opinion doesn't mean anything and I'm fine with that. And I just was saying, I got to get this off my brain because otherwise I'm just driving around all day stewing about this stuff. And I don't got that kind of time today. Let's keep this thing rolling with a great track from local natives. It's Megaton Mile and it's on the all-new Vantucky Fried Podcast.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: That band there is Local Natives. The track is Megaton Mile. And frankly, I couldn't love that one more. So if you like it, go get some more Local Natives at your leisure over there at LocalNatives.com. It's the Vantucky Fried
0: Podcast with Casey Bay.
1: As legend has it, it was an early September morning back in 1962, and somewhere between Northern Oregon and the Washington state line was a nine-man, two-vehicle convoy consisting of a brand new Dodge motorhome and a rather unassuming station wagon. They were cruising their way north into the quiet Pacific Northwest laying down some high-end rubber on a freshly paved stretch of the all-new Interstate 5. After an all-night drive, they were approaching Portland and weighing out their options for a quiet spot to rest up and refuel. I don't know where it went down specifically, and believe me, I've done my homework here, but at some point, the decision was made that Portland was just too big of a town. They were just passing through and were looking to stay off the grid. They feared if they stopped at the wrong spot, they would be discovered quickly, word would spread even quicker, and the whole thing would evolve into a full-blown frenzy. Just like always. As the sun threatened to rise over Portland, they continued pushing north crossing the interstate bridge paying their 80 cents in tolls before passing over the columbia river and casually passing right through hazeldell without ever skipping a beat so who's the captain of this convoy you ask well believe it or not it was the king of rock and roll yeah that king mr elvis presley and the founding members of his ragtag entourage the memphis mafia Based exclusively on my digital detective work, the best I can gather is that this particular group was made up of Elvis Presley, of course, his right-hand man Joe Esposito, Red West, Sonny West, Charlie Hodge, Lamar Fike, and Elvis' cousins Junior, Gene, and Billy Smith. The King and his mafia were making their way to Seattle, Washington for the second time ever, where Elvis was about to do what he did best, which was taking care of a little business. He was about to step into his 12th starring role on the big screen in seven short years. This time around, the king was set to play the role of overly handsome crop duster pilot and all-around ladies' man, Mike Edwards, and it happened at the World's Fair.
0: Dig that high-flying Elvis. Man, this guy's feet hardly ever touch the ground. I think I just spotted a couple of sweet ones. Yes, the space needle rocks and the monorail rolls in an eye-popping riot of explosive Ah. hilarity
1: they continued looking for an out-of-the-way place in an out-of-the-way town and as i-5 ended they connected back with the original highway 99 and before they knew it they found the perfect spot it was a sleepy little roadside town called kalama washington if that name rings a bell it might be because kalama was also used in the movie twilight you know the one where that regular girl falls in love with that pale-skinned vampire boy and then things get complicated anyway back to elvis As they rolled into Kalama, they came across a quaint little place called the Columbia Inn. It was a neat looking joint with a sign out front made to look like a big neon arrowhead. It was brand new and perfect. They had plenty of rooms, plenty of space for the Dodge and an out of the way yet convenient location. Plus, as luck would have it, there was a full service restaurant right there in the parking lot. I'd bet you 10 American dollars that to this day, if you closed your eyes real tight and you caught that easterly Kalama wind blowing just right, you could probably still hear Elvis whisper, Hey, Ridd, why don't you go see how many hot dogs they got? And quite possibly some very mysterious Native American flute music. I'd like to point out that I wasn't there for any of this. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't even born yet. So I'm totally just fact-based freestyling here. But if I was a betting man, which I am, I would say Joe Esposito went inside to make the arrangements. As the road manager, I feel like this is his wheelhouse. This would have been his territory. If nothing else, he was at least packing the plastic and watching the expenses. The crew arrived at 6 a.m. booking nine rooms and politely requesting to not be disturbed. The desk clerk handed over their keys and the crew wasted no time taking over the entire top floor of the south wing starting with adjoining rooms 219 and 220 and working their way down to the west end of the building. Elvis anchored himself down in 219 and as for the rest all I can do is speculate. Multiple reports from the staff claim that Elvis slept the entire day waking up around six o'clock in the evening nearly 12 hours later shout out to sleeping pills. Elvis woke up and began preparing for the final 150 mile push to Seattle. He got himself ready, made a few calls, flipped through all three channels on the TV, and placed his order for a very well-balanced evening time breakfast. I can't tell you if he phoned it himself or if he just handed it off to the boys to execute, but according to the documented order, Elvis was clearly looking to tackle a breakfast fit to please a half-stone lumberjack with a tapeworm. His order, it looked like this three eggs, yolks broken and fried over hard, a side of hash browns, ten slices of bacon which comes out to approximately two and a half side orders, a bowl of cold cereal, a bowl of sliced peaches, and five cups of coffee. You know, just a little something to grease the old pipes. The Columbia Inn claimed the rest of his crew all ordered from the dinner menu and the bill was the largest ever rung up at the time. As the gang packed up and prepared for departure, as many as 150 people began to crowd into the parking lot. They were gathered around the Dodge in anticipation of catching the faintest glimpse, or maybe even a feel of his shirt, or the ultimate score, Elvis's autograph. I know, you're probably wondering where the people came from, if everything was so top secret and stuff. Well, here's what I read went down. They nearly got in and out clean but the station wagon needed gas so they zipped up the road to top off the tank as inconspicuously as possible but as luck would have it, a very observant and loudmouth station attendant noticed the name on the credit card, put two and two together and started burning up the phone lines. Now history shows that Elvis was always very generous to his fans and this time was no different. He could have very easily made a beeline to the Dodge flanked by the Karate and West brothers but instead he stood there by the door of that motorhome for over an hour smiling waving signing autographs and with every twitch of his lip one by one he turned those young ladies of cowlitz county into giant puddles of estrogen and tears right there in the parking lot in broad daylight eventually the show had to get on the road plus it was getting to a point where if elvis touched approximately three more girls they were going to need a boat to get out of there so elvis graciously makes his way inside the dodge and with a turn of the key they were out of there Get this, it's even been reported that Elvis jumped in the driver's seat of the Dodge and piloted his own motorhome to the Emerald City. Why not, right? He paid for it, probably with cash. While this was just one stop along the way for Elvis, this was one stop that put his stamp on a little community forever, or at least until it gets forgotten entirely by future generations. But back in those days, it meant something to be a star. In fact, if you think about it, Elvis was one of America's first big-time celebrities that couldn't go anywhere in public. He was paving a whole new lane. Plus, there weren't even that many full-blown celebrities in the first place. So as you can imagine, it was a pretty big deal to see one in person. Again, let alone arguably the biggest one in America. And by total surprise, on some random evening, just hanging out outside the diner of your little hometown. That would be pretty cool. Elvis made everyone in that lot feel special. He was generous with his time. He left gracious tips. He ran up huge tabs and like a gentleman, paid them in full at checkout including, but not limited to, a rumored $500 in long-distance phone calls. That's a lot of money in 1962. To my knowledge, which again is based exclusively on Google searches and one in-person visit for research, the only people I've read about not loving this particular Elvis experience were the hard-working cleaning staff. There were claims that Elvis was maybe a tad rough on hotel rooms. These very claims were documented and allegedly expressed by unnamed sources down there at the hair salon. True story. According to complaints, there was makeup all over everything, and the room was again allegedly left in a total mess, with dirty dishes strung from one end of his room to the other. And, you know, that might be true, but after reading about Elvis' tipping theory, I can't imagine anyone having anything bad to say about him. Was he a little crazy? Sure. But not like 70s-era crazy. He took care of people, is what I'm saying. He tipped all the time. He was always taking care of people. He was also lifelong generous, no matter how famous he became. I mean, there's tons of pictures of him just hanging out signing autographs at the gate of his home. There's not a celebrity around today that's going to do that. Now, for the sake of full disclosure, Elvis's music and movies have always been hit or miss with me, personally. Every time I try to get into one of those movies, I get distracted by the details. Like, for example, how does a guy fly an open cockpit plane with no goggles on while singing a song perfectly and wearing a hat that doesn't move? Not even a centimeter. It just stays on perfect. I can't roll with it. I can't enjoy the movie because I'm going, that's impossible, dude. You can't do that. I lost my favorite Cubs hat on my uncle's boat one time and I wasn't even singing a song. Then again, I'm also not Elvis. Or what about in Blue Hawaii when Elvis was swimming with his girl and he just took off and left her? He just swims off over to this boat full of Hawaiian guys, leaving his dame in the dust, not to mention left to potentially cramp up and drown as Elvis just sits there and watches playing a song on one of the Hawaiian guys' guitars. Because when you're out paddling around in a canoe in Hawaii, you're always going to have a guitar with you, right? So then smash cut, the guys are all on the shore singing yet another song, and out of the water comes Elvis's girl, and not one of them helped her or even asked if she was okay. Now, to be fair, you can't just stop in mid-song. Even when your girl washes ashore dog-tired with seaweed in her hair. Now, with all that being said, I've always respected Elvis's contribution to both rock and roll and American pop culture. Elvis was no doubt one of a kind as an individual. Nobody did famous like Elvis did famous. And the older I get, the more I love it the more I appreciate it and the deeper down the rabbit hole I tend to go. And this is exactly why I found myself in the very parking lot of the Columbia Inn, a mere, what, 57 years after it all went down? I mean, hey, if you're only 20 minutes away from a place Elvis stayed at one time, you kind of owe it to yourself to go check it out, right? I showed up just after noon with zero expectations other than to take a look around, maybe drink some coffee, and see if I could try my luck pumping any and all information out of the locals. As I circled around the parking lot, I noticed the housekeeping crew leaving room 219, so I knew it was unoccupied. So I parked, gave myself a quick little pep talk, and got out and started up them stairs. As I approached the housekeeper, I tried my best to strike up a conversation without looking like a creep. So I played it cool, and I was like, hey isn't 219 the room elvis stayed in one time and she said it was and with no hesitation i tapped into my inner jim rockford and just said uh so what would it take to unlock the door and you know let me in to have a little self-guided tour she tells me not to worry and it's not going to cost me anything she told me she just needed to go get the key so i don't know if she knew this or not but that was literally the answer i was looking for She returned promptly with the key, opened the door, and her only instruction was to lock it when I was done. Next thing I knew, I was victorious, and wandering around in that room, likely the same way Elvis did, except I didn't take any sleeping pills. I am happy to report that they keep the spirit of his stay alive with a big velvet Elvis painting on the wall near the bed. But aside from that, it's all been renovated and modernized. It's your basic suite with a queen bed, TV, mini fridge, table and chairs, you know the deal, small bathroom, Mirror and sink just outside of said bathroom, your standard hotel motel room situation. So as I said, while it's mostly just standard hotel room decor now, there is one more surprise if you look in the shower. You'll find the other nod to his visit with the letters EP laid into the tile design. I thought that was a real nice touch. On my way out of the room, I took a minute to recreate the photo that was in the newspaper. The one of Elvis making his way from room 219 to the Dodge. And as corny as it may be, it was kind of cool to walk in the footsteps of Elvis. I mean, you don't get to do that every day. And now whenever I see that photo, I can go, yep, I've walked down those very stairs and I got a picture of it and I'll show it to you for a dollar. Look, it's the little things in life that thrill me. With my unexpected room tour complete, I went inside the restaurant to get some coffee and revisit Elvis's breakfast order. I wanted to know how much that breakfast would cost in today's money. And I also wanted to know if I could run across anybody that could shore up my internet facts. Lo and behold, I meet Lisa. She's worked at the Columbia Inn literally all of her life, and she really came in clutch here. Her dad, also employed by the Columbia Inn, so she's, from a historical perspective, on lock. As she poured my coffee, I told her why I was there and what I was trying to do. She was all about it. She wrote down the order and gave me a quick, I'll be right back, and took off. Like, just gone. And then about a half a cup of coffee later, she had the bill all itemized with a grand total. It was super helpful. And it also gave me a nice little souvenir for this story. She made substitutions in the places where they no longer offered the item. So the peaches got swapped out for mixed fruit and the cold cereal got swapped out for oatmeal. So it wasn't the exact half-stoned lumberjack platter, but it was as close as I was gonna get. The grand total before tax and tip came to $53.07 in today's money that my friends is definitely a breakfast to get your night started the best part of this story for me besides lisa and everybody being so cool up there was that she accidentally forgot to hit the do not make button so a few minutes later she brought out the meal in all of its glory and it was fabulous i don't think it could have worked out better for me if i planned it i'm glad i followed my curiosity and i'm glad i took the drive i I thoroughly enjoyed my time up there i'm also glad the motel keeps the legend alive albeit a tad subtle as far as the Columbia Inn goes, they remodeled the interior of that as well. So sadly, there's no signs of Elvis's visit uh, that really even exists inside anymore. So it's down to just a wooden sign outside letting you know that they have fed and sheltered both Elvis and and Jack Benny. Now don't let that stop you from going inside and sitting down though. I can't say enough about how friendly everyone treated me there. So a special thanks to everyone at the Columbia Inn as well as to the friendly housekeeping crew at what now is the Oyo Hotel of Kalama. I would have loved to have gotten Lisa for this podcast but I couldn't seem to track her down again. Maybe she was a ghost, or like Large Marge in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Maybe you've got your own cool little Elvis story in a town near you, or a story about that time that so-and-so passed through and got a foot-long sub or whatever. Trust me, it's surprisingly fun to track down these details, so I encourage you to get out there and explore a little bit. Go see what you can find, and heck, you never know. You might even find yourself walking in the footsteps of the king.
0: the Van Tucky Fried Podcast with Casey Bay. I think that he's on a run. He's looking very strong. This man is down to 5% body fat, which is something that not all of us can say. And I think he did a terrific job.
1: All right, it's getting close to wrap-up time. It looks like we're pushing the envelope here, running a little bit late today. But that's all right. I'm the boss around here. I make the rules. And if we're going to be a little bit late, it's all right. We're going to squeeze one more in. It's quick. Check it out. It's Alabama Shakes doing Hang Loose on the all-new Kentucky Fried Podcast. was Alabama shakes giving us our second cold ending of the episode. Didn't even plan that. You'll find that on their debut record, boys and girls again, Alabama shakes. Check them out. Uh, one of the coolest shows I saw, I saw them at a little place in Portland called the Doug Fur lounge sold out tight. Amazing show. All right there. Party people. Episode three is officially a wrap. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Elvis and his little connection to Southwest Washington here. I think it's pretty awesome. If you like the music selections of the VFP, you'll also really dig the Bottom 40 podcast with my friend Greg Glover. Deep cuts, random records, and a whole lot of awesome. As always, if you're so inclined, please like and share the Vantucky Fried Podcast. It takes literally seconds and it kind of helps keep things moving along over here. You know, bounces us through that magical algorithm. You can also freely mention that they can download a new episode every Friday morning right here on Spotify, anchor.fm slash Vantucky Fried Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Casey Bay and I thank you kindly for hanging out for episode three, The King and I. Elvis facts for this episode came courtesy of the archives of the Oregon Journal, the Seattle times, the Elvis history blog, and some good old fashioned sneakers on the ground, investigating by yours. Truly. You'll also find pictures and a video I shot from inside room Two Nineteen. It's waiting for you right there on the VFP Facebook page. So check those out. If you feel like it, thanks again for hanging out. I hope you enjoy your weekend. Remember to be cool people and we'll see you back here next week on the Vantucky fried podcast.